stunt performers don't just throw themselves off a cliff or something like that. You know, it's, everything is within your skills and abilities that you've trained. If anything needs to be replaced, it is replaced. If anything is not up to a code, then it will be out of the show. And so safety is definitely the first priority. And there's a lot of adrenaline when you race down the set in a car, you drift, start drifting around in a car or whatever you're doing. It's fun. Welcome to the Theatre Art Life podcast and hello. We're putting the spotlight on those who create live entertainment around the globe, the culture creators and the backstage masters. My name is Anna Robb. And my name is Anna Aguilera. On this episode, we're joined by stuntman Ian Van Cleef. Today's guest has been set on fire, hit by a car, thrown off a building, behind the wheel in a high-speed chase, shot and blown up, and all in a day's work. He has performed for live audiences in Asia, Europe, the Middle East, the Caribbean, India, the US, and Africa. And he's the writer-director for a widely successful Chinese stunt show, Project Blue Sky, running for its fifth year in Qinhuangdao, China. Welcome, Ian, and thank you for joining us. Yes, thanks for having me. What an interesting career you have uh, in stunts. So tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got started. Uh, yeah, so I've been working in live shows for over 10 years now. It's taken me all over the world. It's really like a dream job. I've done a bit of film and television. I, I kind of fell into this job, as cliche as that sounds. I was working as an actor during college, kind of some small small work, dinner theater, things like that. and. Um, I got hired at this place called Old Tucson Studios in Tucson, Arizona for a Christmas show because I was a singer, but they, they quickly moved me into their gunfights and started training me as a stuntman because I would do live gunfights uh, at this theme park. Uh, and after about a year and a half, I was recruited for a show in China at a theme park there. It's kind of like a, a knockoff at Disneyland or something. You know, a pretty interesting place. And just one job kind of led to the next. And uh, eventually I moved into managing, directing, coordinating. So who exactly is a stuntman or a stunt person? I think that most people, when they think of stunts, they think of a stunt double. And that's someone who does something dangerous in place of an actor. But there's uh, plenty of stuntmen working in that aren't doubling for somebody. Like in maybe a, there's a bar fight in a movie and someone gets thrown out of a window. That's just a stuntman doing that part. And then there's there's uh, like Daredevils, uh, like Evil Knievel or Felix Baumgartner. So I, th I think if I were to define a stunt person, it would be like, it'd be someone who does something or performs something. I think that's the key word. Someone who performs something dangerous for the sake of entertainment. Or for a performance, and in that, what is it? What what is your? How do you stay in shape or train for something like that while you're not doing actually being in shows? And say, is there a preparation for that process? Because I can't imagine. Is there skill sets associated with that? How does that work? I think if you're dedicated to this career, then you'll definitely in training as much as you can in your off time, whatever it is. If it's martial arts or gymnastics or whatever interests you. Um, I also know quite a lot of accomplished stunt people that don't train. Maybe they don't have to, or the job keeps you fit, maybe. I don't know. 
it's really up to the person's own personal uh, fitness goals, I guess. You did mention keyword that uh, your work or a stunt person does something dangerous. Uh, do you want to talk more about it? Does it scare you? Uh, what does what's the realm of dangerous for you? And if it scares you, how do you overcome that fear? Yeah, it is dangerous, and we say we say that we take a calculated risk. Uh, stunt performers don't just throw themselves off a cliff or something like that. You know, it's, everything is within your skills and abilities that you've trained and it's about knowing your limits and how far you can push them. For example, if somebody is maybe someone starting out, they're comfortable jumping off a one story building onto a pad. And that's like maybe four meters or 12 feet. And uh, you could safely push your limits to maybe 15 feet or five meters. And, but you, you wouldn't want to go from four meters to eight meters. It's just beyond your capability. It's dangerous. Like it substantially gets more and more dangerous. So it's about knowing what you can do and how far you can push it. That's a big thing. I think that as far as fear is concerned, it is, it is a scary job and the fear is there. Like it's, it's, we know the potential risk. Every stuntman knows the potential risk before they get into it. And that fear is kind of like in the back of your mind no matter how deep you push it down, like sometimes it'll come out. Maybe it's like before you go to bed and it comes out and it's like, says like, you know, what are you doing? Get out of this like, while you're in one piece. Are you crazy? And so it's something you have to deal with and fear has its place, but if it consumes you, then you're in trouble, especially in this career. Um, there was like early in my career, there was a, a time when I like became consumed with this fear and I kind of learned my lesson from there. I'd seen a few bad accidents and, and then it kind of spooked me like I could be next. So I was in this contract and the only way out of a contract on good terms is usually with an injury for some reason you can't perform. And so I just was, I was terrified for some reason. And it, even though like it was all within my ability and, but it just overwhelmed me. And so I kind of like was secretly hoping for a, small injury something big enough to get out of a contract but you know and and it's one of those be careful what you wish for things because they happened and i broke my wrist and i had like a 12-week recovery so i think it's really uh your mental discourse is so important in this career your focus and you have to just kind of have to be on top of it mentally physically it's a psychological game right <laughs> oh yeah and and an important thing is that that you treat a stunt with respect your time because even though maybe you've done it a hundred times, it's still just as dangerous as the first time and com complacency kills. When you got hired for the job in, in China as, as a stunt person, did you go knowing, go there knowing what stunts you were going to do or were you part of that creation process and how do you collaborate on building stunts for a show? Uh, usually you have a pretty good idea of what you'll be doing on a contract and then usually there's opportunity to learn new skills and train and maybe cross train. And which is great. If you have that opportunity, you can expand your skills and your repertoire. Mm -hmm. And then I'm sorry, what was the second half of that question? Well, how do you um, part, like collaborate on building anything? If you are creating, creating us in the stunt show, like how do you agree on what stunts are going to get done, how they're going to get done? And do you have input with the creative team on how that rolls out? So my experience um, as a director for this uh, show in China, 
most of that had was kind of already decided by the producers and the client. They know what kind of show they want, what set they're building and, and what will be in it. And then there is some, maybe in the following years, we can add, add stunts and add things to the show. Generally, I kind of just work with, with what they, the guidelines they give me and see how I can build a show around that. And so what was in that show in terms of stunts? This show we had, it was a massive, massive show. It's a castle surrounded by a moat of water, surrounded by a street. And there's boats and jet skis on the water. Uh, there's cars drifting on the street, a motorcycle jumping 75 feet, uh, repels, um, high falls, fire burns, hand-to-hand combat. All the things. Uh, all of that. <laughs> yeah, and, it, and the set the set is is extremely massive. It's like the size of a of a soccer field and the audience of about 4,000 people. So it's a pretty big endeavor. So you've mentioned like a wide variety of, of disciplines and you also said mentioned cross training. How does it work? Like, do you specialize? Do, do they know like, like does your resume say, I can ride bikes and rappel, for example, and then they call you for that and then you cross train. Is there like, how do you specialize? How do you cross train? How do they know who to call? So I think that, you know, for a lot of people, they, they do specialize in something. Maybe someone was a gymnast their whole life or a martial artist and they have some, they have a discipline and you can get work with that and any additional skills, you know, is a bonus. And then for someone like me who had an acting background, I'm, I'm more like a utility stunt guy where I have, I have all the fundamental skills. There's kind of a base set of stunts that, that every stuntman should know. And it's like a high fall, fire burns, repels, um, maybe some driving, some hand-to-hand combat, some things like that. And so also to get hired, you'll have a, a reel, a stunt reel, or you know, a resume, a stunt reel that shows what you can do. A lot of it, from, from my experience, it's uh, word of mouth too, who you know. People will put in a good reference for you someplace and they'll know what you can do. It's a lot, uh, you know, it's too easy to manipulate a reel or kind of exaggerate on your resume. And so people really like to hire word of mouth because you, if someone knows what they can do, what kind of person they are to work with, it's just a for sure bet. It's a kind of an industry-wide practice really, isn't it? Uh, yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> And how do you, how do you, like you mentioned you, you got started because they asked you to do some firearms work. Is there a school, like if someone just asks you to do something and then you just fall into that or like how, if, if I were to be interested, I think I have my share of danger scuba diving and working in shows, but <laughs> if I were, if I wanted to, to go in, what, what do I have to do or how do I get started? You said there were like a list of things that we usually, or you guys usually do. How do I make sure I tick all the boxes and how do I get started? So I wish I could tell you that. And uh, it's one of those things where everyone has a different story of how they got in and how they got started. I know that there are some stunt schools. I don't know a lot of people who have been through them. Kind of the job is the school. It's kind of just, in, in my case, you know, it was, there was just an opportunity and I stumbled upon it and, and I think because this career is pretty, 
or this field, this industry is pretty open, that you really have to find those opportunities or stumble upon them. And decide that, yeah, I'm going to do yeah. that and just jump in yeah. feet first, really, really, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. When you're um, coordinating as a writer and director for a stunt show, what what is that process like in terms of are you working with the music? Are you working with the producer on the order of those scenes? How do you make those the seeming of that together safe? And what's and how long does that process last? Like the process you did in China. So yes, I'm I'm working. I'm involved in all those aspects as a director, as a writer. It depends if it's a new show. Obviously, it'll take more time to develop than like a a returning show you know there's a there's a lot of things to consider and take in mind of course the how many performers what the set is like the story the music the audience the safety what stunts will be doing and did you have a choice of like what like what stunts went into that show did you say oh, we should put motorbikes we should like you said before that they included most of those stunts as sort of I guess the conception but did you sort of get the opportunity to add a few things uh so my my job kind of began after that was all decided so it depends on the client what they're what they want what they're willing to pay for what they're willing to invest their time and money and build and that kind of things my job is really how to make that work and tell a compelling story so I feel like as far as stunt shows go there there isn't really there's there's kind of a set set of stunts that you'll see in every stunt show, and there'll be a few things that are different. Maybe they have one thing that's special, but for the most part, it's all kind of the same stuff. So it's gonna you're gonna have high falls and repels and fire burns, and uh, if you have vehicles, you know you'll have a motorcycle jump or some cars drifting, maybe a car driving on two wheels, you know that kind of thing. And what's what what about the the challenges of being in China over being in America, was it harder to be safe in that space? Or, like, obviously working from culture to culture is always different anyway and maybe language barriers and stuff. So did you did you have uh, a greater stress on that project than you would have if you were in, say, the States? Yes, definitely. There is always, a, you know, difficulty when you have a language barrier, cultural barrier, barrier. And um, I would say, because I've worked in many countries, and for example, when I worked in Germany, their standards are very, very high, and is actually higher than the U.S. That's really nice because you don't—it's kind of a, a load off your shoulders. You don't have to worry about safety and, and that kind of thing. But then, then there's a lot, plenty of countries where there is maybe almost no safety standards. And in that case, it's really, really more of a responsibility to be vigilant and check everything and, and also stand your ground. Like there are some things that you, there's just no leeway for. You know, we're constantly modifying a show, cutting things. If something's broken or not suitable, then if it's not safe, then you just don't do it. You don't risk it. If we have 300 shows in a season, there's no point to risk an accident for one show if something is not 100% up to the standard, you know. Just wait till it is and then and then perform from there. Speaking of that, how do you uh, keep up? Like most of the shows are outdoors, right? 
uh, how do you keep up with uh, show quality and safety? And is there like some sort of um, industry standards that even though their country doesn't respect them, you know, or the, in the industry follows? Well, I would say that if you're, if you're talking about the big companies like Disney, Universal, Cirque du Soleil, like they all have their guidelines, which are pretty strict. But when you go more to independent productions and uh, go to another country, the budget, you just don't have a budget that can, that can be that strict. And, but in terms of safety, like, you know, there's, there's rigging guidelines and things like that. You just, we have vigorous checks that we do every day on all of our equipment and vehicles. If anything needs to be replaced, it gets replaced. If anything is not up to a code, then it will be out of the show. And so safety is definitely the first priority. Do you have like, this is temperature is too hot or this is too wet or this is too windy specifications for the show? Oh yeah. It, weather plays a, a role and our show will modify things will be cut in certain conditions. If it's raining, if there's lightning, it's a water show. If there's lightning, the show's canceled or, you know, things slow down. We made a second soundtrack for some rain shows because it tended to extend scenes. Things had to slow down quite a bit and maybe you had 10 more seconds in a scene than you do when it's dry out. <laughs> you just take it a so, little slower. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. And some of the water shows we used, we had some sort of meter to see how far the lining was happening. Do you use something like that or do you just play it by ear and see what's safe? I would I would wish we had something like that. <laughs> But uh no, in this this instance we kind of just we we look for it. If we can see it, then we cut it. It's done. <laughs> yeah. You're out. Oh. Yeah. Uh interesting. So you said you've done some stuff about like how to fall and, and how did you like, like one of the tricks you do is falling. So how did you learn to fall? Was there a process in, in, you know, increasing the height or did you do it? I mean, I know a lot of that was learned on the job, but is it, is it practice? Is it time? Is it changing it up? How did you, how did you up your skill set on that? Uh, yeah, you just start from a low height and you work your way up, fall into a, like these, it's called a high fall and we fall to a pad or an airbag. And the trick to this technique is you have to land flat on your back and then all the pressure is evenly distributed. So no, no matter if you're he falling head first or feet first or backwards or whatever your fall may be, you always want to land flat on your back. So there's different techniques to get you there to your back at the last moment so that you do it. So any miscalculation is very dangerous. That's when you can I don't know, compress your spine or whatever, you know, tweak, tweak your neck or worse. It sounds like a particular type of person that, that wants to go and do those kind that kind of work. Right. Because it, it that kind of just sounds terrifying. To me. <laughs> yeah, it, it is terrifying. Even after I've done, maybe I'll be doing a fall. I've done hundreds and hundreds of high falls, but if I walk up to a new, and I have, I've been out of work for a few months, but if I were to walk up to the top of a platform and look down, like heights just, Like it still gets you at, mm. at, at first you look down and there's something in innate in human nature that tells you like, don't do it. Mm. <laughs> and, uh, your stomach will kind of rise into your chest the first few times. And then as you kind of get used to it again, it, it's there. I um, think that's healthy. About, I think that's healthy. Yeah. <laughs> to have that natural yeah, fear. It's like having that respect yeah. to, for the stunt. 
There's like that guy that climbed, uh, was it Al Capitan, free, that movie Free Solo, right? And, I mean, that's a level of insanity I cannot even contemplate because one wrong move and he's, and he's gone. And, and, and it's just, for me, it's just a level of how, many, how much risk somebody, an individual's um, happy to take, you know. And that's, a, again, it goes back to being that psychological game, I guess. Yeah, I think, I think stunts is very much like sport because you're learning techniques and you're constantly pushing yourself further and getting better at the things that you're doing. Yeah, like I said before, you're not just like throwing yourself into something. For example, I have a, I have a friend who did a cliff dive. It was like over 100 feet in a film. It's very dangerous. That's something you kind of have to specialize for. Mm-hmm. Like I wouldn't just go give it a go because I don't have that skill set because that's very dangerous. You could die. So it's kind of, it's, you know, something you train for, you have a skill set for, and uh, you know the risk of what you're getting into and whether you're capable of doing it or not. And if you're not, you don't do it. You guys were mentioning earlier about training, physical training. What about mental training? Do you, how do you prepare yourself to mentally do that? Yeah. So, I mean, this is an arbitrary number, but they say 30% is skill, 70% is doing it. You can apply that to a lot of things. Personally, I, I do a lot of visualization. I like to see myself doing it properly over and over. Any of those times where you imagine the worst case scenario or what happens if you do it wrong, try to just push that thought aside and, and run through it again. And it's really about trust. You know when you can do something. If you've done it hundreds of times, you know you have that skill. Mm. And you just have to trust your body that, you, that you're going to do it. And be in the moment. That's very important. You can't be thinking about other things. So also I can imagine by visualizing it, you're kind of in that kind of meditative state where you're, you're psyching yourself into it, right? If you're visualizing it, the, the technique and the turn you might have to do and how you have to land, that that, that's, that, that in itself is a, is a psychological preparation, right? Yeah, exactly. It's kind of getting yourself into that state. Like, all right, now it's, now it's showtime. Yeah. Do you apply some of your skills, whether it's physical or mental, to your day-to-day life? I think that these skills do transfer over, of course. I think very much of my job, there's kind of this weight on my shoulders, especially like overseeing the safety of a team of like 40 people, that injury is an issue. Life and death, it's kind of an issue of life and death because these things, you could, you could die if you do some of these things wrong. And I think when you take that in your daily life, for the most part, we don't have concerns with life and death. And so when you take that out of the equation, just things seem very easy. Like the, like the, the problems you have in life that would maybe normally like, like really stress you out, it doesn't have carry so much weight and or stress. So I think I learned a lot of resilience, kind of how to work through the pain, facing your fears, resilience, that, those kinds of things. I can totally see how that would play out in your life because <laughs> your day-to-day work is so risky. What what would be something that you would change about your job or the industry if you could, if you had the power to do so? Is there something that you would change? I think this kind of applies to just business globally in general. And so I've I've worked with some directors, performers, managers, producers, and there's there's kind of this old business model that's still in place and kind of it seems like it's on its way out. But you think of like the stereotypical used car salesman, how they're just trying to say whatever you got to say to get the deal done, cut corners. There's kind of this bottom dollar 
is the priority. And I've worked with people there, they maybe they lie about who they know or their experiences. Usually it's kind of an older generation. And I think it's worked in the past, but today, you know, information is at our fingertips. You can fact check anyone. And so it, you can't really get away with lying anymore. And a lot of these companies, you know, I've seen some companies where they cut corners, maybe with salaries or the safety issues, and they're just trying to save money where they can. Uh, maybe so the money can just go sit in the CEO's bank account, but it doesn't do any good there. Like if, when, I think younger entrepreneurs, they, they're more willing to invest the money in the product, invest in their employees, and it does a lot better for, I guess, for the world than hoarding a bunch of money. So I kind of, I, I think that things are moving in that direction and I kind of hope that they are. You've mentioned risk and danger and fear and a lot of things, but what gets you to do that? What's the favorite or what do you like the most about your job? I don't know. This job is, it's a dream job, really. Kind of like doing a sport, getting paid for it, performing for packed audiences every day, 4,000 people plus, people cheering for you. It's, there's, and there's adrenaline to it. There's a lot of adrenaline when you race down the set in a car, you drift, start drifting around in a car or whatever you're doing. It's fun. <laughs> it's like a, a, I don't know, every, it's like a child's dream job. If they want to be a cowboy or a pirate or a bad guy or whatever they want to be when they grow up and you get to play all those parts. I know. I'm, I'm certainly not telling my son that this job exists for a while. <laughs> As a mother. But yeah, no, it does sound like something that a kid would grow up to want to do. So it's amazing that you get to make a career out of it. I, I would say though, though it is a career with uh, like an expiration date. So like I've been very fortunate that I not to have any serious injuries, you know, knock on wood, but um, it is a, it's wear and tear on your body. And for example, this, this year I went to a chiropractor and they took an x-ray of my neck, my spine. And I have these uh, bone spurs like, on my spine, like pretty significant bone spurs. And they said, that, they said that you shouldn't have these at your age. Normally they see it at like 60 years old with degenerative arthritis. And they, said, well, they, they asked me, like, what have you been doing? You have an accident? How is this possible? You're in your 30s. And you know, it's the job. I've compressed my spine. I've had whiplash. I've been smashed and thrown and tossed and dragged and scraped and stitches and whatever, all those things. And so if you do this job, like you're going to get hurt. It's part of it. It's like, if you play rugby, you're going to skin your knees. So there's a way, you know, there's an expiration date. I see older guys in this business limping around and I still, I'm young and I feel great. And maybe it'll catch up with me. I don't know. But you you don't really realize the impact that it has on your body, like any professional sport too. Until you're older, anything anything professional has a long yeah time dancers effect. and all those yeah, things. Sure. What they what they mm -hmm. do to their knees and their joints, and it's the same the same in this mm -hmm. business. Yeah, and do you foresee that you would then move into more of that kind of directing, or or do you would you bounce from the industry? Is that what do you have a a path out of that? Or yeah, I've been. I've been uh, directing and coordinating more and more. It's kind of the progression of the job once you've been a performer for many, many years and you kind of learn that role, then the next transition is to move into a leadership role and directing, coordinating, that kind of thing. 
Take your body out of the game. <laughs> yeah, if you're smart, you'll do that slow transition. Yeah. <laughs> do you have a YouTube channel or a website or somewhere where people can uh, look at some of your projects? Uh, I do have a website, ianvancleave.com. That's I-A-N-V-A-N-C-L-E-V-E.com. I don't have a lot um, available online. I'm kind of a private person. I don't, I don't really do, do too much with that, but hopefully soon this year I'll try to be updating content. I have a reel out there. You can search on YouTube for my name. It's uh, old, quite an old reel. I also need to update that. For me, it's one of those things I, I kind of do it as a need basis. And since I've mostly my work is through people I know, and I don't really have to have a new, a new reel. But as soon as I'm applying for a job or a company that I'm not, where I'm not known, then I like to update my stuff, <laughs> save it for the last minute. Yeah, exactly. Put it, put it on when you need it. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's been really interesting to find out about, about the stump world and spending some time with you. So we really appreciate it. Yes. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Please write our review on our podcast, whatever you listen to your podcast and let your friends know about us. You can learn more about Theatre Art Live by visiting our website at www.theatreartlive.com. And you can also follow us on social media and leave your questions and comments on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Pinterest, Twitter, or YouTube. We want to thank David Sire for composing the music for our podcast and Michelle Scarata, who is our sound engineer. We are your hosts, Anna and Anna, and this is the Theatre Art Life Podcast, where we put the spotlight on those who create life entertainment around the world.